time lapse. This is State of Demand Gen. Hey everyone, it's Chris Walker and welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. If you haven't heard already, we are back for season two of Demand Gen Live featuring Megan Bowen at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 Pacific. We are leaning in hard to the AMA style, so what that means is that we will set the floor with a couple key topics, timely, relevant, experiments that we literally just ran this morning that we figured something out that we can share with you and then we'll transition to the AMA style so you get on you ask your question a lot of other people demand marketers salespeople are on there asking questions you can learn a lot get to meet people build a little community maybe get a new job whatever you want to accomplish we're doing it in demand and live so would highly encourage you to check it out and now to this episode well welcome to the show Chris Luigi really happy to be here man how are you yeah, I'm going well, man. I'm going well. I'm actually, uh, I'm pretty excited. I, I watch many um, videos of yours with that mic and that background. At night, the background looks insane. Here we are again. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for coming on the show, mate. I'm a blast, uh, really excited to be here and really excited to understand what we're going to be talking about today. What you got? <laughs> well, mate, before we get into talking a bit about, you know, why sales people or sales professionals should be better marketers and vice versa. Mm. Um, I'd love to learn a bit, little bit more about you, mate, how you started in the world of, of sales and marketing. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's get through this pretty quickly, but I'll try and cover, especially <laughs> on the on the point you just raised. And so, um, started my career in engineering and then moved to product management. The thing that I, the key thing about product management that people should know is that in order to build the right products, I went and talked to customers. And so that's a huge piece of things that a, a common SaaS marketer doesn't do. And so talking to customers gave me the insights. And then when I moved into a demand generation role, this, I did the same thing. I went and talked to customers and then my demand gen got way better because I knew what content to create. I knew what resonated. I knew what objections they had. I knew what they thought about the competitive landscape. I understood them. I knew where they looked yeah. for information. And so by, I think one of the take home points that I'm trying to make for marketers I've been trying to do this for 18 months, don't see it enough. So I'm going to keep talking about it is that you need to be in the, you need to be a part of their community and people can talk about that and say that, but there is a huge benefit to actually doing it to, for them to see you as a peer. Yeah which I've been in both situations. I've been, I've been 24 years, 24 year old marketing manager. And I know that the customers did not view me as a peer. They viewed me as a vendor. Yeah. And I right now, and I have to, for other buyer personas than marketing been in a community where medical directors would buy me shots because they saw me as a peer, not a vendor. <laughs> so I could treat, yeah. you know what I mean? And so there's, there's, there's a level there and it makes all of your marketing better when you can get to that level with people. And so that's one take home. And then, and then when I started to get into the, into the downstream demand role inside of the venture funded company, I went out with the sales reps. And I spent time with the SDR team and I actually did some SDR function work in order to assess my own lead quality. And so mm -hmm. through that, that was the beginning process of me really understanding that marketing, that a marketer that understands sales is a better marketer. Yeah. And so I started following up with leads. I, I followed up with ebook downloads and I called them and I understood how they responded to me and whether or not they even answered the phone or how they answered the emails. And I was like, I don't want to send this to my account executive. That's for sure. And then, yeah. and then I would go and I would talk to demo requests and I would be like, Oh, well, this person really wants a demo and I could send it to the AE and they, they close their 50 K ARR deal in 15 days. I guess we should keep doing more of this. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. And and now after starting my company and, and executing all the marketing and sales right now, I have a team that's working on it, but I have very clear insights. I continue to have more and more respect for how distinctly different these two functions are. A lot of companies make the mistake of trying to do them as one. They are distinctly different functions, but in order to be good at either one, you need to respect both. I see a couple of things in the market right now. I see, I see marketers that have no under, no understanding or respect for sales. And that's why mm. they s- send 3000 MQLs that are ebook downloads just down the chute to SDRs yep. that do absolutely nothing. It's complete junk. And that's one side of the equation. And the other side of the equation is we have marketers running ABM programs that are actually only doing sales. Like I, I have converse, I have sales conversations with companies that come to me and they're like, we want to run ABM. And I'm like, the term ABM is so nebulous. Can you tell me more about what you mean? Yeah. And they're like, we want email sequences. We want to, you know, figure out what score so we can go out do mm-hmm. outbound cold calling. I'm like, that's sales. Let's do Absolutely. some marketing, please. Right. And so yeah. in the ABM, ABM realm, we have, we have marketers that are actually doing sales and their, com- their companies are doing no actual marketing. And that's an issue too. Dude, you got me like incredibly buzzed right now, man. I mean, you just hear so many, I, 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 I think it my pen out because I'm like, fuck, I'm missing so many talk tracks here. Um, but I want to actually go back a step because what, what you said is really interesting and something that I, I advocate quite strongly with all the sales pros that I, that I coach and, and businesses that I work with. Um, actually go and listen to the customer, right? Um, what you did was go back and, you know, you, you went and spoke to the ebook downloads, you know, you went and, yeah. you went and, you know, followed up with, with prospects um, and actually went on the front line and heard what they were saying. Um, how, like from your perspective, how important was that in, helping you develop your mindset that you have right now about sales. Absolutely imperative. Yeah. It's absolutely imperative. It's one, I I would say it's one of the top five things that set me apart as a marketer today is that I respect that function. And when I talk to people, I listen and I not only listen directly, but I ask, I probe and I ask questions. You should see, you see some of the comments that I make on LinkedIn. You see some of the posts that I make. Mm. I say some of those things so I can listen. So I can hear what people, how people respond. I can yeah. say things to people in a one-on-one conversation. They say something back or I can feel their response based on how they move the tone of their voice. Like those, those are insights that other people don't look for, um, which then helps me adjust my messaging, consistently refine um, messaging, consistently figure out what channels to go to, mm-hmm. consistently figure out what's, what's resonating and what's not. Um, and so those are, I think, some of the key things. I think marketers um, learning that, that, that is a deep skill. Yeah. And, and marketers inside of most companies are not incentivized to do those things because it's hard. Yeah. But I think what you're talking about is not just like, cause I find, I find it really interesting. You know, you talk about ABM and um, I find it really interesting that, you know, marketers need to talk to, to, to their customers I find it that salespeople are calling on these customers all the time. And a lot of them actually don't listen to what the customer is saying. They don't actually understand the reality of their customers. You know, I work with them and say, let's do an ICP. And mm-hmm. it comes back and there's just a lot of stuff missing. Now, if you're calling this on this. This is why marketing should do this process. Right. <laughs> sales can't, sales is invested in the outcome. And so they don't mm-hmm. hear the real story. Yeah, and that's, that's and mar- what I find. Marketers by design should not be invested in the outcome. 
Mm. I remember doing this market research in, in 2013 and I didn't do it well because I was invested in the outcome. Even though I was a marketer, I still wanted that person to buy something. Three years later, I go into those meetings. I don't care whether or not that person tells me that the product is the worst thing ever. Yeah. What they, if they tell me the truth, that's a win because then Mm. I have the, then I have the knowledge and I can go and execute against it. And so by separating from the outcome and making people feel comfortable telling you the truth and being able to ask the right questions in a way that doesn't lead them to the answer that you want to hear are, are all key things. Yeah. You know, one thing that I love Chris about the the world of, of selling right now, and this is my, my, my opinion on the topic. I don't believe the philosophy of sales has changed, right? Since the day people traded before currency, they traded product for product, value for value. Um, to the old Mandinos, even to today's, to the modern day sales um, authors. For me, sales hasn't changed, right? There needs to be a, mm-hmm. a value exchange. If people see value, they invest in the product um, and there's relationships, et cetera, around that. What I absolutely love about what's changed though is how how I as a sales professional can take marketing and make it as part of my remit. I can, I can, I can create demand gen processes, create sequences, create on your own. Absolutely. I don't require marketing self. I remember, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, inbound leads were like unheard of. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, you know, for some companies that had the budget to do a lot of above the line activity. Mm -hmm. Um, And, so this is what I want to ask you, like from your perspective, how important is it if you're a sales pro listening to this podcast right now going, you know what, I'm loving what I'm hearing from Chris, but how important is it that they need to see marketing and demand gen as a fundamental skill that they need to build over the next couple of years to be relevant? <laughs> It's absolutely imperative. It's already happening, right? Like the the best account executives recognize that they don't need SDRs to source pipeline because mm. they can get better pipeline on their own, that they don't need marketing to anything that mm. marketing inserts, if it's yeah. good, because a lot of marketing pipeline is not, especially at these types of companies, that if they're not going to wait for SDRs to book them meetings and they're not going to wait for marketing to send them ebook downloads, they're going to go out and source that pipeline on their own. And they recognize that cold calling and sending Bam, spam bulk email through outreach might not be the way. Mm. And so there's, there's different ways, but account executives that take control of their own destiny, that recognize that this is a clear opportunity. This is the path to becoming the number one account executive to being the best in your organization at sourcing your own pipeline is how, is how you do it. Um, and the, and the, the interesting thing is that the best account executives are migrating to using traditionally marketing tactics Mm. because it is the quickest way to business development today. Yeah. That's awesome. That's just awesome, man. This is such, such a great response. And that's something, it's one of the philosophies that we, that we definitely push. Um, it's about you know, being in control of your own destiny and you mm-hmm. can't wait for somebody else to create your own pipeline. And if you haven't got the ability to do that, then you, you could be facing, you know, a changing career because you might become redundant, right? So mm-hmm. uh, um, that's awesome, man. And, and so, from your perspective, you know, what what is what is um, if you haven't if you haven't adopted some of these marketing principles and you feel like you're a bit behind the um, a bit behind in that development side of things, where can one start to build their to build their skills around this sort of stuff? From an AE perspective? Yeah, from an AE, yeah. even if you're an SDR, yeah. even if you're somebody in sales going, man, I'm loving Chris's spot on the point, but where do I start? Yeah. I'm yeah, overwhelmed. So 
let's say you're a new AE, you're working at some like legacy hardware brand and now you just got a nice tech job at a SaaS company selling to CFOs. Okay. Let's yep. just say that that's, that's the situation right now. You don't know much about CFOs. You don't know that much about tech SaaS. You just like had sold a couple copiers before and you did pretty well at it. And so here you are. One of the first things that you should probably do aside from the internal relationship building, if we're talking external focus on your job, one of the first things you should probably do is you should try and talk to 10 CFOs in a non-sales conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the key is in a non-sales conversation, understand them, like think about it as a coffee. And so, and then how do you learn, um, as how do you extract as much information as you can while not being like kind of annoying and how many mm. questions that you ask and you have a, a personal conversation with those people and are able to deliver whatever value you can back and, and those types of things. A, a really great way to do that is by starting your own podcast. Yeah. It doesn't even have to go on Apple or Spotify, but just, Hey, Hey, we're ha- we have the top CFO in MarTech um, podcast. would love to have you on the show and invite the top 10 CFOs on, from MarTech companies on it. And 80% of them will say yes. Cause I give P- AEs this advice and 80% of people say yes yeah. to go on this podcast with them. And then they get to talk to them and they get to learn. And they also get to network and they also at the end can ask, Hey, by the way, do you know any other people that would want to be on this podcast? Um, you also get to create content that you can push out on LinkedIn. So you get this like content creation muscle building. And I think that is one of the, the best ways to get started Yeah, is to, is to, to what I said, going back to what I said at the beginning, be part of the community before you are selling to the community. Yeah. You know, what you said there, that community, I, uh, it's one of the big ahas I got when I interviewed Seth Godin. Um, oh, no one. Yeah. That's I, awesome. I flew up. He's actually, I was reminiscing because my phone comes up with photos like a year ago and, and last, this time last year I was in, in Chicago, nice cold Chicago. And, uh, and then I went and, and, and spent some time with Seth in New York. And one of the things that resonated the most for me, man, was, was the fact that he talks about the minimum, minimal viable audience. Mm-hmm. And, don't worry about selling to the masses. Just get your community in play. Like find that community, find that tribe and just lead them, right? Inspire them and lead them. Um, Absolutely love it. The thing on this one is that in order to get to that point, companies love to use company firmographics. We sell to B2B financial services companies of greater than a thousand employees. And that's their ICP to get to your minimum viable audience. You need to start looking at psychographics. Yeah. And those are things that are hard. And those are, those are things that require making choices Mm. because in order to resonate with that audience, you're going to have to alienate, alienate potentially another audience. And most companies will not make those choices, especially conservative B2B tech companies, right? You can start, you can start to see them in San Francisco, people taking stands that are, that are important, that turn some people off. Mm. Um, I saw that. I've I've actually seen that. I'm like, yeah. But those are, those are important decisions that B2C companies make and have wild success with and B2B companies because of the way that they're run typically don't do those things. But in order to get to your minimum viable audience, you do. I would be lying if I told you that people don't get pissed off when they read my, some of my content, (laughs) but guess what? They're not my audience. You might see the content, but I'm not trying to get to them because I know psychographically they're going to go for their 10,000 MQLs and run them through marketing automation. And that's not what I'm here for. So Mm. Um, making those types of choices as I've continued to, to progress on this journey, I've actually narrowed in, not expanded out 
yeah. which is a huge insight for people. It, the, the content gets better. We have way more ICP customers coming through. Our customers mm-hmm. are more successful. They're staying for longer. They're happier. They're telling other people yeah. all by just being more narrow in who you serve. <laughs> This is gold, man. And for all of our listeners, you've heard me say this before, right? Not everybody's your customer. And, you know, by going through that, the technographic fits, the psychographic fits, and all the things that Chris is talking about enables you to create much better dialogue. I mean, like I said, I'm getting really excited, man, because this is the sort of stuff that I continue to push out there is don't worry about the masses. Um, There's a key of customers out there that you want to really lead and serve. So this is pretty cool, man. So what about from a marketer's perspective? So, you know, you're, you're, again, you're, you're listening to this going, holy crap, I'm spending two, three, 400 K a month on, on lead gen, but a very low conversion. Um, marketers usually don't even know what the conversion is. That's the mm, problem. They're not incentivized to look at the conversion. They're just incentivized on 30,000 leads (laughs) and how much those leads cost. They don't spend any time in Salesforce and understanding what happens after they become a lead. Yeah. And that is the root of the issue. This is where I figured it all out. Um, because when I was running this demand function that I eventually built up to five people in a multi-million dollar budget. But at the beginning, I built this by myself. I was doing everything, community yeah. management, uh, social media ads, paid search ads, content development, cre- managing a creative agency, creative freelancers, um, integrating HubSpot with Salesforce, email automation. I did all of it. Yeah. And so I have a very big breadth of knowledge. And, and so when you are going from $0 in budget to trying to get to 2 million and a team of five people, guess what you need to do? You got to frame up, you have to actually have results. Mm. You actually have to have results that matter to this, the CEO. And so when I built this, it was really interesting to be like, Hey, um, you know, we spent, we spent $500 in that test. We got four leads. They all converted to an opportunity and we won 25% of them and we spent $500 we, and we got 50K ARR back, I think we should probably try and do more yep. of this because we're over here with 40 salespeople and, and it, we can't get that done. And then you start building on top of that and you're like, okay, actually the sales cycles are actually shorter too. The win rates are high, 3X yeah. higher than our outbound SDR meetings that are going to. Our customer acquisition costs is way lower. Like we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be expanding our sales team again. We shouldn't be expanding our SDR team again. We need to be putting more money back into this. Yeah. And when you, so in order to even get to the level where I could have that conversation, I needed to have the intuition to say, oh, I need to frame this up in pipeline and revenue and how mm. this business grows this way and how it's, if the vision of how it scales, you don't, you don't need to scale by sales headcount anymore, or you can scale by marketing efficiency. Yeah. Um, and so that was sort of the, how I figured this out. And, and then when I, when I got very deep into things that are happening from the lead to the, to revenue and yeah. the interesting things that I found, not all MQLs are created equal. <laughs> the conversion rate on a demo request versus the content download versus your bullshit yeah. MQLs, MQL score versus this are all going to be different, not only from MQL to, to opportunity, but from opportunity to close. Yeah. And when you start to look at those and respect them, I'm going to go after the ones that are close. Demo requests are going to close at seven to 12% from lead raw lead to revenue. If you do it well and ebook downloads are 0.1% content syndications, 0.1% webinar attendees are 0.2% virtual events are 0.5%. Like you want to go in and generate hundreds of leads and maybe win one of them, or you want to focus on winning 10% of them. Yeah. And so as a marketer, if you can actually acknowledge that insight, you have tons of power mm-hmm. because you can get off the MQL hamster wheel because you need way less leads to hit your revenue target. If you focus on ones that have high intent. Um, and so 
the, to get back to your question, marketers don't look at those metrics because they're not incentivized to. And until the marketers take a look at those metrics, they will never change. But, you know, this is interesting, right? So they're not incentivized, but should they, regardless of what they're getting paid for, should they care about the next step in the sales process? Like, yes, I might be incentivized by how many MQLs, but in order for me to be the best sales, the best marketer I can be, should I want to go deeper in the funnel and see where these yeah. are going and follow the bouncing ball? Absolutely. But I have a, a deep amount of empathy for the, um, <laughs> to be, to be direct, the amount of times that I've almost gotten fired for doing stuff like that. Like I know, yeah. I know how it works in companies. Yeah. I know how it works in big machines and, and especially sales led sales focused companies don't need their marketers stepping into that stuff. And so, yeah. um, so I have a lot of empathy for it actually. Um, yes. Should you do it? Yes. Do you, if you need your job, are you going to do it? Probably not because it's going to put you in a position where you're vulnerable where you're, cause you basically have to blow the whistle that the metrics that are set at the highest executive board mm. level are wrong. That's Absolutely. what you have to do. That's what I did. That's what I, that's what I did. Yeah. That's what I do. That's what I do every time. And I just happen to have CMOs that, that trust in me now, five years ago, I didn't, no one, <laughs> no one believed in me. So those yeah. are, that's really the difference. Well, I've lost clients as a result of it. So, you know, talking totally. about, I've, you know, speaking to them saying, you know, you got, you got all these MQLs coming in, you're getting somebody to download a brochure and you're not putting any indication on that, on that lead capture form that you're going to call them. And then you call them 10 minutes later, wonder why they don't answer. And you're, you're mm-hmm. measure, you've got about a 35% penetration rate on, on, on lead to contact. And then you're not lead scoring. Um, and then these leads who actually want to be spoken to, you're not calling them for, say, six hours because you can't get to them because you've got congestion of all these totally. leads coming through. Um, totally. I have lost clients because I've advocated to if make some really, changes. If you really think about this model, mm-hmm. here's what's happening. Companies are building content that sucks. Yeah. And, and paying to have people download it that don't even read it. And then 10 minutes later, pestering them and annoying them when they didn't ask for it. And if you have a small total addressable market, it will not take you long Mm -hmm. to annoy everyone. Imagine you have 15,000 accounts and you're able to collect a thousand leads a month. It will take you a year to burn through everyone. Mm. And that is not a good prop. That's not a good proposition. Absolutely. It's a pretty powerful thought. So, okay. So we're going to, we're just going to flip back a moment back into the sales pros chair. So you've inspired the people listening to this to say, you know what, man, Um, you've inspired me. I'm going to go talk to 10 of my buyer personas, my key buyer personas, not with my sales hat on, more with a learning hat, just to get a better understanding of what's going on in their world. And I'm going to then start to create some content. Just like you did for me, man. I had a podcast and you said, mate, you're lazy if you're not repurposing that into blog posts and this. And I'm actually putting every one of my podcasts, man, because of your posts, I'm turning it into nice. blog posts, right? Cause you actually made me think I'm missing out on all the other opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. But you're a sales pro, you've been inspired by this and you are right. I can't wait for marketing. I'm going to go out there and create my own demand. Um, I interview some, 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 um, some of my prospects, some of my buyer mm-hmm. personas, and I've got a bit more learning. Where to next? Is it podcast? Is it blog? Uh, I saw that post you did, but it's at 500 million blogs or I can't remember. And there's only 500 500 million blogs, 500,000 active podcasts. Yeah. So the podcast, uh, you know, gap is pretty big, right? 
Um, so what, what's the best thing that I should do? Should I post more content on LinkedIn? You know, should they create a little podcast? What do you think yeah. is the best opportunity for growth there? Before we jump into tactics, let's talk strategy on this one. Cause you have two, you have two choices as your account executive. You've just done those things. You understand your buyers a little bit. Yep. You need to make a decision about whether you're the host of the party or the keynote speaker. Let's look at it in those two different ways, right? So if you're the, and the key is looking inside and say, and both of them can work, but looking yeah. inside and saying, which one am I a better fit for? <clears throat> am I a better fit to go out and pick all of the experts and interview them and put together the information of the market and be the person that delivers it? Cause a lot of people, you know, you could be the host of, you know, America, whatever the good morning America, where you just interview people like that can be one way that definitely works. It works especially well if you are not the expert in the topic. So if you're yeah. selling to medical directors and you aren't one, that could be a good strategy. The second one is to be more on the, the keynote speaker, which can either be, I have authoritative thoughts or I'm going to talk through the things that I'm learning or some combination of both. So, you know, last week I talked to seven CFOs, the thing that they are all dealing with, it felt like is 2021 planning. They're all doing it this way. It seems to be a struggle with this. They were going to try X, Y, and Z. What, what I heard is that Z is probably the best option. What do you think? Reporting on the things that you find is it also an interesting way to look at it as a day in the life. Once you can, and, honestly, probably some mix of the two. Like I, I believe that I probably mixed both of them without even really acknowledging it because I'm talking to people all at once and I'm doing it and mm. you know, it kind of happens together once you're in it. So anyway, you can pick on, pick one or the other or both from a strategy perspective. Now let's get into tactics. The podcast, I believe to be the most, the easiest to execute and the highest upside yeah. podcast to LinkedIn distribution to would be the, the two in a B2B company the podcast, because what are the opportunities to have a hour long conversation with your target market when it's not yeah. in a sales conversation, this is how you get it done. The fact that it's recorded and then can be broken down. You can re-listen, you can watch someone get to know you at a personal level, and then you can push anything smart that they said, or you said, or anything, chop that up and throw that on LinkedIn. You've, we've had the conversation. You, I've said 10 things to you. And now you can say, you know, talk to Chris last week. He was talking about this one thing. Actually, I thought it wasn't very smart. So I actually disagree. And this is what I think just by having the conversation, yeah. it sparks insights. Um, and so those are some of the, the strategies that I would recommend um, to get started. That's awesome. So think about the strategy, then go down in a tactic and just execute. And then you just got to get the ball rolling. Right. Like <laughs> I'm sure people, if they want to go back on YouTube, they can look at some of the, I didn't, it's funny. Cause I give the advice that I took in August of last year, I invited CMOs and VPs of marketing at companies that I never thought that would want to work yeah. with me onto my podcast. Yeah. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even a podcast. We just had a zoom and I recorded it and I put it up on YouTube and it probably has a hundred views, but guess what? I got yeah. to talk to that VP of marketing for an hour. And I got Absolutely. to learn a lot and a couple of them have come back inbound and we've opened opportunities with them a year yeah. later. And so that's awesome. I did, man. Sorry. I'll cut you off, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 uh, I did those things. And then not only until six or eight months later, did I actually launch a, a actual podcast on Spotify and Apple. 
Yeah. It's really interesting, man, because that's one of the reasons, like, it took me, you know, you talk about just do it. It took me about probably a year and a half to get the confidence to get started. It was always a concept of, I want to do this, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're right. I think if somebody had said, well, what are you? Are you the host or the keynote? Um, I think that would have been a really great conversation for me to have. It would have sped up my my process to get started. That's awesome advice. But second, I'm a big, I've been a big book reader of, of sales um, ever since I was kind of 17 because I struggled at school and I'm, I'm pretty fortunate that I fell into sales, man. Otherwise I'd be really struggling right now. Right. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I learned through books um, and it was one of the best things that I, I got from my podcast was interviewing the people that I had read for so many years. Right. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then actually you're right, getting that hour with them, picking their brain and going, man, because the content that you can get has been awesome. It's also what it also allowed me to do was see through some of the experts and uh, after reading their book and then talking to them about their content, not seeing alignment and actually going, you know what, there are some people out there that I thought were experts that aren't actually the people they say mm-hmm. they are. So it was a really enlightening process for me to learn a little bit about the gap in the marketplace. Yeah. And then when you think, if you are the account executive listening to this, how you cannot quantify how important it is after, if you go into a sales conversation next week and the person's the person that you're talking to is saying, you know, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. you can say, actually, I talked to John, the CFO of blah, blah, blah company last week. And he's trying, he tried that and it didn't work. Here's what he said he learned to be able to say that, or actually I mm-hmm. talked to 10 CFOs last week. They've all tried that and it didn't work or they're going in this direction, the insights that you get from other people in the market that you can then bring into actual sales conversations is huge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the best performing emails that I use to nurture some of my active, you know, prospects um, was a no call to action, just a complete insight email, which shared Mm -hmm. some data to say, Hey, email right now. Yeah. Yeah. This is what's been happening. Um, these are some of the touch points. I know you're on this journey of transformation from a sales perspective. I think you might find this valuable. No call to action. No, hey, do you want to meet next week? Or how does 2 p.m. or anything like that? It was purely just, here's some info. Mm-hmm. Um, they received for me the best. And, and you know what? I did it. If you look at everybody's tactics of 125 emails or less, three subjects, I did it against it was a long email. <laughs> it was, it mm-hmm. was, uh, there was a bullet points in there. I, I kind of went against the grain of what all, what everybody says is best practice. Totally. And it was the best performing email that I had. People shove millions of emails into something and then optimize for 0.1% open rate mm. as opposed to an actual outcome that matters. Yeah. Um, and that's the, that's the problem is because there's so many specialized roles. That's why you have 30,000 MQLs that don't convert to even mm. SAL because of the specialized role in this yeah. assembly line with no actual coordination of the, how the whole thing runs. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about it. Like if you think about it, like a manufacturing facility, I think this one is very, very simple for people. Okay. So you are a manu- you're a manufacturing company. You are, you have parts coming in from a different supplier parts being leads before you actually process them in your facility and then you go to sell them. And so when they get there, this big truck comes and 99.9% of the parts are junk. And you have to throw them out and then you take the 1% and you move the 0.1% and you move them through the sales process. And even those you think are faulty and you lose some at the end of the assembly line. And that's what companies are doing with their MQLs right now. You know what? That's a sick analogy, man. I never thought about it like that, man. That is actually a really good analogy. It's really simple. 
stuff's coming in, yeah. you're doing stuff to it and certain amount of customers are coming out. And if you just think about it in pure logic, you're like, okay, the first thing that I need to do is the, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to fire that supplier and I'm going to go find a new one that has better quality parts. Absolutely. Because yeah. you're right. If you, and I've worked, you know, a lot in the lean manufacturing space and if me too you thought yeah. about that, right. If, if, if you actually had a, a waste metric of that high 98% or 95% of waste, you'd be sacked. It would be not a, you know, it would, <laughs> well, think about it, right? They used to, they measure, they measure waste. They measure totally. everything. They measure totally. OEE and all that sort of stuff. And if, if they actually had that many, that many mm-hmm. pieces of failure happening, um, I mean, imagine you bloody Boeing um, building yeah, planes. And so the waste, right? yes. So you're, you're Boeing and the, the waste in this example is having 50 SDRs on the assembly line, picking out junk that doesn't fit. That's not going to work. That's not going to create a real part. And that's, there's this hidden cost, but since SaaS companies have it in a fixed demand waterfall model, they don't see it that way, but that that's having 50 people on your assembly line that don't belong there. Cause your suppliers delivering you junk and you're going to get a new supplier. Do you know and why? So the thing that that's started, my post this week. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> thanks. The way that I've started to look at it is the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to eliminate the garbage from the system. And then you're going to figure out how to get more of the good stuff in. Like, and that's all I've done for the past five years. And it's weird because um, I've been reading this book mastery by Robert Green. I don't know if you know, yeah, him. he's an amazing good, writer. Yeah. Um, and so it's like all these different pieces, the product management and talking to customers. I literally was working inside of lean manufacturing and waste and cost of goods sold and looking at yeah. this different stuff and you start to put all these different knowledge pieces together into what you're actually meant to do, which is what I'm doing right now. Or maybe there's something higher that I haven't discovered yet, but all those different components have gotten me to a place where I just like see this specific thing in a very different way than others do. Mm. This, is, this is really good, man. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun because it's just helping me really consider things and, and get, get, it's get my sort of creative mindset really flowing, man. So I appreciate that. And look, I'm, I'm mindful that we could talk about this stuff for hours because I'm a bit of a nerd with this sort of stuff, man. But, um, but mate, before we get sort of get wrap up, I want to ask you a question. I think this will be, um, I, I try to ask this as many times as I can, otherwise I forget, but <laughs> in your eyes, is sales an art or a science? It'd be really interesting to hear your response on this. It's the same thing as marketing. It's both. Yeah. It's both. Um, we have, and I'll, I'll answer it from the marketing perspective, just because I think I understand it better. I think that my answer can translate to sales. There, there are plenty of people that are, that are in tech land, San Francisco, that think that all they have to do is build some wild funnel with percentages and their business is going to become a unicorn. Mm. That's not the way that it works. 100% math marketing would already be figured out we wouldn't be here talking about marketing if that was the way to do marketing. And then we have other people on the other hand where they, um, and I, I work with a lot of these people and we actually help them a lot that are only focused on the art that only care about yeah. what the words say that only look at how, what color is in the picture. The key is in putting them together. Yeah. The key is about respecting both and combining that with human psychology, art, science, psychology, put it together. Yeah. Um, and so th- that is the way that I look at it. There's, uh, I don't think that a black and white answer on sales is appropriate either. I think everyone listening to this would agree that the answer is both. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I actually like it because I think you're right. I think the technology sector, the tech sector, the fact of, you know, growth, maths, growth, burn rate has kind of really impacted the sales 
engagement process, right? Because you go, well, mm-hmm. I've got to grow. I know that I've got some funding. I've got Series B. High volume, high volume low efficiency, low Correct. quality is all that it's about. I can keep burning <laughs> through cash. I'm not making a profit because these companies have a different type of valuation. <laughs> so the customer experience isn't kind of at the forefront of our focus, right? <laughs> so it's kind of they're using that. Yeah, but it's, it's such a cool, cool um, thought process, man. But mate, but it's great know, to hear. It's great for people to think about that because a lot. And it's true. Like I interact with these companies that are not focused on this at all, which gives you, if you recognize it, an amazing opportunity to stand out. Yeah. Just by doing something different, like the, and, and focusing more on the experience, what happens when, if you made the shift from low volume or sorry, high volume, low efficiency, low quality, what does that, what does that actually materialize into? It means you need a lot of sales reps. And when you have a lot of sales reps, you have to pay them less. And when you pay them less and you give them low quality work, they turn over fast. That's what's happening in the SaaS community right now. If you switch that to high efficiency, low volume, high quality, you have less reps, you can pay them better. They're doing good work. They stay longer. You don't, you have lower customer acquisition costs. It seems so obvious to me. Yeah. There is one particular client I'm going to send this to straight after this episode. <laughs> um, but mate, for any of our listeners that want to connect with you now, you've got them pumped. And, and for everyone out there, Chris shares incredible content. And it's actually, it's really thoughtful and it's very deliberate and you'll take a lot of value. Where can they engage and connect with you? Yeah, so we've been getting incredible feedback on the podcast, actually. If you search in Apple or Spotify, it's called State of Demand Gen. We publish two to three episodes a week, getting great feedback from people. Hey, I just got this new job. I was listening to the podcast for two weeks, and I just got this new job. Or, you know, got promoted, or have tried this and it worked. Or some salespeople that have literally moved to demand functions just by listening to the podcast and doing what what they said because their company wasn't focused on marketing. So a salesperson that becomes like head of demand gen in a certain period Mm -hmm. of time just by following the formula. And so podcast is one I would encourage people the most. And then LinkedIn, Chris Walker, common name, but you'll be able to find me CEO of Refine Labs is where I publish content every day, which is like micro formats of the podcast. The last thing for people listening is like, you can look at the way that the content uh, waterfalls down from podcast into social, and you can use that as a model for yourself. Yeah. Awesome, Chris. Well, man, I just want to say, look, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, your contribution has been quite i've had it's been a big impact especially to me i mean i've we've just hired a a demand gen manager and and a big part of that was listening to your content and really thinking more and thinking deeper about what demand gen is all about so um this journey for me is really exciting because i think it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna evolve and it's gonna it's it's what's gonna be the difference between you know, success in marketing and just everything else, all the noise. And it's a pretty noisy marketplace out there, mate. So thanks for the contribution you make to our community, man. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Really happy to hear that it's helpful for you. And um, we'll catch up again soon.